0: to bound by books i'm sci-fi romance author tina moss and i'm joined today by
1: marianne maria and i write everything paranormal <laughs> paranormal mostly <laughs> paranormal romance and urban fantasy
0: <laughs> love it so how are you today marianne i know you've been having a little bit of a tough time lately but how are you
1: doing i'm good i am okay um you know, people listening out there i recently lost my father you know, about a week and a half ago. Um, I was Mm -hmm. in Florida and, you know, uh, but I I'm lucky because I got to say goodbye and I got to thank him for being my dad. And, you know, it was his his passing was um, as much as it is grief for me, it was peaceful for him. And -hmm. that's all that matters. So but um, I'm glad that I have my friends. Um, who have been strength to me, like my, my pal Tina, you know, oh. um, and the rest of the Mod Pod that were <laughs> uh, my strength during all of it. So I appreciate that. And I'm glad to be getting back in the saddle about, you know, about writing because, yeah. you know, something like this can really throw you for a loop. I, I, have, uh, I have a couple of author friends who went through tragedies and they just never it took them years to get back on the horse you know yeah, the riding horse so for sure. i'm glad to i'm glad to be here today so
0: yeah. and listen you got a lot of exciting things coming up with your writing too we were just talking the other night you have some readers who are reviewing your prior series so that we could yes. do your rebrand that's super yes. exciting i can't wait yeah for that. yeah
1: yeah, they're they're uh they're uh chipping away at the eight books. And um I even got a shout out on TikTok from uh one of them that uh that they like the first one and we're getting ready to dive into the next one. So I'm I'm glad about that. It's hopeful, you know, that uh I can rebrand and relaunch for its anniversary because it's uh it's 10 years this year since wow. the first one. This That's year. awesome twenty twenty two. So, but it's uh 2013, 2014 is when the transition happened for me where my publisher, who was a small press, small midsize press, went under when mm-hmm. the when the, when everything, when the economy crashed back, you know, 10 years mm-hmm. ago, whatever, 12 years ago. And I got my rights back and republished. So we're going to be coming up on that. So That's awesome. which is which is nice for it to have a relaunch and a rebrand and a reboot new yeah yeah
0: you need that especially when you know a a series has been around that long it's good to kind of look at things with fresh eyes and yep do it again I have to do that for my for my older series too I have um the paranormal crimes division and I know those two books need a reboot and people have been waiting on me for the third book and I just have not had like the energy to dive back in even though I love that world because it's so complex compared to what i find is the quicker lighter reads and of my sci-fi romance series but which kind of ties into what we're talking about today and that's yes. uh, world building so yes yes diving world into building. how do you how do we create these you know incredibly complex worlds and systems and rules and the characters in it especially when we have worlds that are tangential to our own so yes marianne you're you're the paranormal romance queen where do you even begin like let's say you're about to start a brand new series a brand new world like what's the first thing that you're doing in terms of world building
1: well i think it's the seminal idea whatever Mm. inspiration has sparked in your head you need to write that down um perfect example is uh Last year, I wrote an 8,000 word short story um, and it was for an anthology f- um, that was put out by 20 Books to 50K. And it was a vampire mafia that I that I just had the idea to do it. And um, so fun. So the world that I put together there was sparked by a 500 word of uh, submission that I had to put in to even be accepted. Oh, for- that's cool. So I had to think of, What do I know about the mafia? Mm -hmm. Which which mafia do I want to fashion it after? Because there's a lot of different ones. That's true. Um, And since it was paranormal and I wanted it to be vampire because I wanted it to be tangential to my Curse by Blood series, Mm -hmm. um, I had to incorporate some of the rules that I I already had in place. Nice. But at the same time, had to kind of take it almost like um, same tree, different branch. And I had to plan out what my rules were for these vampires versus the rules for my other vampires because my main character is only a she's a demi vampire, she's only half. Mm-hmm. So what do I do with that? You know, right. how do I how do I set them apart where they have certain things that are particular to being a demi vampire versus a full vampire? Like mm-hmm. I have full vampires in yeah, and what are the differences? my blood series. Right. Mm-hmm. What are the differences? And then there of course, since it's a mafia, what are the rules of that? What's the hierarchy? Mm-hmm. You know, and And where are they, you know, like where I grew up and where, you know, and uh, being of Italian descent, you know, we always had Little Italy, Mm -hmm. not only in New York City, but we had Little Italy in the Bronx because Mm -hmm. I grew up in Yonkers and I had to figure out how I wanted to do that and build from there. Right. You know, so you kind of
0: took like what you knew about, let's say the Italian mafia in this circumstance, and then use that as almost like a template or a guide to build that part of the story Along with your previous series and what you had established for the rules of vampirehood, let's say, to dictate what you could now do with this demi vampire.
1: Yeah, because I mean, like author Celeste Barkley's got she's got a mafia story that a mafia series, but hers is Russian based. Mm-hmm. You know, right? This, yeah. this completely. I mean, mine I I'm familiar with because of my heritage mm-hmm. is the Italian. So that's why, you know, write what you know or research the crap out of it is basically yeah. what you have to say. I, I'm a you know? big
0: proponent of research. I, you know, came from the academic world. I have a huge research background, so I am always doing research. And I've I've told the story on the podcast before that before I put ever like pen to paper, uh, you know, fingertips to the keyboard of um, my sci fi romance series, I read it was somewhere in the realm of 100 to 150 sci-fi romance books I really wanted to not only know like what reader expectations are what the common tropes are but how are authors building these worlds essentially these universes because it's sci-fi romance so we're going out into space and how does that work in terms of like different aliens different types of cultural backgrounds different planets when you're Doing sci-fi, it's one of the most fun times I've had as a writer, but also probably the most challenging in terms of world building, because it's so vast. You're not just dealing with one culture on Earth or even, you know, multicultures on Earth. You're literally dealing with the entire universe and what laws do you set into place in terms of space travel? In terms of communication, what's the technology that each species has? What's the interactions? Is Earth open or closed? So there was a million questions that yeah. I had to answer before I ever really builded, started building the story up. And not only that, but I still have more questions that come up because if I had, if I introduce, let's say, a new alien species into the mix or, you know, they go off on an adventure and they they encounter a new alien species. Well, now there's a whole new set of rules and laws and cultural effects from that species. So. Right.
1: And how do they <laughs> you know Yeah. Or, or are they symbiotic? You know, I the use same an type Excel of, file.
0: For my series, because I, I don't know, something about Excel just works for me, all the different tabs. I think just that's how my brain works, mm-hmm. the multiple tabs on the screen. But my Excel file is so large at this point and I'm only three books in. I'm afraid what's going to happen when I'm like, you know, 20 books. In.
1: Well, I mean, that's the <laughs> next thing I was going to say is once you have your your outline of your world, mm-hmm. make yourself a Bible. You need yes. to make yourself a Bible because you will forget what you need to do, what you need to do, especially if you're going to have offshoots or if you're going yeah. to write, um, you know, you're going to write a series within a series type mm-hmm. of a type of a thing. And, you know, so and believe me, your readers will call you on it if you get oh, 100 percent. So,
0: so just for those who might not know, Marianne, what is a series Bible? Like what what do you mean when you say this? What should I be doing as a new author to create a series Bible?
1: Well, there's. um The way I've always had it is that there's the character Bible and then Mm -hmm. there's the world Bible. And now they can be together. You know, Mm -hmm. you just have, you know, you get yourself like a five subject notebook and you can break it up even, you know, even into more detail that way. Um, Character Bible Mm -hmm. is your characters, their names, their ages, their physicalities, you know, color, hair, eyes, Mm -hmm. body shape. Then there's the personalities. You know, what kind of personality do they have? Are there are your women badass? Are they submissive? Mm-hmm. Are they, you know, are, are they too stupid to live? You know, which is a <laughs> huge, huge red flag for me. And it's, then there's your alphas and your betas and how they, you know, how the men interact with the, you know, with the women. What is mm-hmm. the then there's the then there's the conflict Bible. You know, like what are they? What are the conflicts that you have introduced so you don't overuse the same tropes? Mm-hmm. You know, that type of a thing. And then there's the rules of the world. Like for me, you know, it's like I I have taken the mythologies of various paranormal species like vampires and shifters and witches and fae and so forth. And believe me, if you think you you think, you know, fae, you've only scratched the surface because that whole mythology is huge, 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 huge. It's not yeah. just the summer court and the winter court. It is Seely, the, the wild. Yeah. And, yeah. It's much more detailed. You had to drill down that big time. But, you know, and you have to, I have taken the basic common mythologies and I give my own twist and I have to, and I actually write questions to myself, mm-hmm. you know, to answer what, how am I going to make this my own? Because you're not going to reinvent vampire lore, right. you know, but you can give it, you can you can give it something new and something fresh. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing with shifters. You know, you can give it something new and something fresh. Do are your vampires undead enough? You know, completely undead, or are they, or or do they have a a, a heartbeat because you know that is so slow and sluggish that it's undetectable to modern medicine. You mm-hmm. know, in in the in the sense that because their blood is a different um, density than ours. Right. You know, but they need our blood You know, they need human blood or animal blood to feed it. So because if it gets too thick, you know, that, that type of that, because that's kind of like what I did. The blood gets too mm-hmm. thick, then they, you know, then they die, you know, they, you know. But uh, so, I mean, I have, I, you know, I have to keep track of all of that. Right. And that's exactly. you know, so that's that's how I delineate my Bibles. And of course, I don't have them in an Excel form. I have notebooks <laughs> all over the place that I'm like, you know, sometimes I'm like crazy, like throwing books around and knocking stuff off shelves because I'm hunting for something that I haven't seen in a while. And then I pray yeah. to every god, goddess and, <laughs> and, and, and single, single you know, deity out there that is, you know, please let me find this. So I need but, to actually put it in a digital form so I don't So I've always it. done
0: digital forms, except for when I'm like, you know, writing something down. And then now I switch to the notes app on my phone for writing stuff down because I'm like, just like that, I'm notorious about losing notebooks. And I have so many notebooks at this point with like little scribbles in it. I'm like, I'm done with the notebooks. I can't do this anymore. Everything has to be digital. But I used to do Word docs Um, just for outlines of stories. And I always liked that format. But the problem was when I was building like this very intricate world, I was like, I'm going to end up with like 300 pages in this Word doc and not able to find anything. I was like, this is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I tried Scrivener. I know a lot of people like Scrivener and I do use it now to actually write. And I have some of my story notes in like the way that I used to use the Word doc just for that story. But for my big uh, series Bible, I need Excel. Excel has been my go-to. I, again, I think it's just the multiple tabs thing. Do it for my brain because I'm so used to having them to, open all the time. To tell
1: you the truth, I am liking the idea because I, you know, I'm I'm a little tired of of hunting around for, you know, because I have boxes in my basement where yeah. I've got you know my old story files, and if I decide I'm gonna you know, resurrect or write a new book or a prequel, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in the story, I'm going to have to go back and go through it. So it's like a ton of reading and searching to refamiliarize yourself with everything.
0: Right. And, and I feel like if you have tabs in the five subject notebook, Excel kind of works in a similar way, because for me, I have things like world words, right? Like what species uses which words and like, what are the, Common curses, because of course we're gonna have those. Like they're not gonna throw <laughs> yeah, F-bombs in space, right? They're gonna have their own words. And then I have things on the tabs that are like planets, alien species, characters, um, technology. And technology is kind of a crazy thing in a sci-fi world because you have everything from like, you know, how do these people make their version of coffee to how do they pilot their their spaceship? So the, the technology part, which I love tech, but even for me, it gets <laughs> overwhelming. But I, I have uh, to say, I am a fan of the Excel. So I, I highly recommend to anybody who's, you know, not sure how to create that. It is kind of like a nice way to just have different tabs
1: for different things. Yeah. I mean, I'm lucky in the sense that even though I, I write paranormal everything, my paranormal worlds um, coexist with our modern world. Mm-hmm. you know so they're they're in the contemporary um and even when i have taken my reader back in back in time in a chapter or so where it gives the um you know the origin story of my vampire or mm-hmm. even my vampires and my shifters because some you know shifters live a long time too sure. um it's it's still within the contemporary but it would be would have been in the contemporary in the 1700s or the contemporary mm-hmm. of the, of the, the 1800s, or in one case, a contemporary of, you know, 1100 AD. And, mm. it, you know, and it was, it was ten, 10, you know, like uh, uh, the first crusade, which I think is, was like 1099 AD or something. Right. So it's like whatever that, whatever the modern world was at the time,
0: mm-hmm. my
1: paranormal world always coexisted, but, under, but, but under the radar, Got know, uh, You know, under the radar. So but that's a thing
0: for historical romance or historical writers in general, too, is the research level involved in the time period that you're writing about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can't. There's a lot of things that, you know, we have in the modern world that obviously they didn't have whatever time period you're writing about. And you got to make sure that you're not using something like, for example, just a pen and paper. Right. You have somebody writing something down in your book and the pen and paper wasn't around then. And that's right. not gonna work too well. And again, right. readers will a hundred percent call you out on it. Yeah. They are the yeah, yeah. quickest, sharpest people on the planet, I swear. Yeah. Romance Absolutely. readers in particular, like they just find everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember when I was writing Time Turner, which is the second book in my legend series, which is still paranormal, but it's a older YA. Um, and my characters my character was thrown back in time to 1787. I had to research everything, you know, mm-hmm. if, if there's a scene in the kitchen, what the kitchen looked like, whether or not they had, they had actual pots and pans, you know, yep. what, the, what, the, you know, how they cooked whether, whether it was over one of those giant fireplaces with the, you know, with the pot hook that <laughs> swings back and forth, you know, in, you know, above the flame, what did they do for hygiene? you know yeah. what did they you know so I I researched everything and uh you know so and I happen to really love that mm-hmm. see I think when you're building a world even if it coincides if, even if it coincides with the modern if it if it's a little different or or what have you 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 know you have to love that kind of creativity and the research mm-hmm. that goes along with it or else you were, it's going to be like pulling teeth for you Yes, they want class c-l-a-s-s exactly. you know? so and humor is always a way to get past it oh you yeah. know it, it is it's humor humor so i mean i always have my characters cook there's always some there always something going on in the in the in the kitchen and and, and, and what whatnot. do they so, eat
0: right so like what do vampires know. eat? What do they eat what do shifters eat like that kind of a thing you have to you have to yeah. also consider
1: we know what vampires eat
0: <laughs> but now the see now that's another question though so obviously the most common vampire lore is that vampires you know have to live off of blood like that's what keeps them going or whatever whether it keeps them alive or whether it just keeps them functioning you know it is what it is but i've also seen where vampires um like they that ne- don't necessarily need blood but it's more of like a compulsion thing I've seen that done in some books before. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so those are decisions too. Or, or do you want to completely curb the norm and, and not have them as uh, blood drinkers? Um, and obviously, that's up to the author, and it has to be done really well. But there are like certain things that I think you can put a twist on, or make more unique.
1: Well, I've had my vampires standard. like in um in Blood Legacy, which is book three. Um, Well, as it stands right now, because we haven't done the rebrand. It's it's book three, Mm -hmm. Um, my vampire Carlos. He likes to drink rum and it's not because (laughs) not because of the fact it gets him drunk or anything Uh or even even the taste, because it doesn't really it doesn't really register. I mean, he gets the burn of the alcohol and then it kind of like it burns up because of their their metabolism is so fast. It's the smell, because Mm. as we as we know, as humans, Olfactory memories are the most prominent in our brains, and the ones that last longest are the hardest to go into the memory dump folder. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, he, rem- you know, it reminds him of home. You know, oh, the, the, the rum. And my character Dominic, who is the, you know, who is later on has his own book. He likes to eat cheese because mm-hmm. he grew up in the, in the, in the, the area of France of Provence. And he, so, so he, he likes cheese and it makes him vilely ill, but he doesn't <laughs> care. It's worth it because it reminds him of his mother's kitchen, Aww. you know? So, so That's I mean that, details. you know, so, so this is, these are things that I have added in because I want to build those. I think when it comes to world building, you know, Uh, You know, there's the there's the the external world and the Mm -hmm. rules that you build. But I think it's the rules that you you put together, like you like for you, for your species and so Mm -hmm. forth, that if you if you give each one a little tweak and make it personal, it it adds to character depth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you aim for is character depth and character likability and character relatability is important. It's important. And that's all part of world building. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You One know? of the
0: things that was really important for me to do was from this point writing onward, I wanted to have a way to connect my connect my series um, no matter what I was writing about. So I very purposely created these creatures that are interdimensional beings. They are adorable. but so there's a lot of like layers to them. But they're also like a way for me to say they can pop up in any story, anywhere, anytime, any genre, because they're interdimensional beings. Right. And they're super cute. So I, I, I created that specifically. And I do encourage like if there are things that you can put in your book and especially to build into different series That will automatically spring to your reader's mind like, oh, my gosh, that's this author's book. Right. So for me, it's going to be these little creatures. They're called Florins. No matter what story they're in, if they pop up, you're going to think, oh, that's that's Tina's book. And I think um, a good example of that is like Tolkien with the hobbits. And I was talking to you guys last night, by the way, hobbits is trademarked. You're not allowed to use them in any book. It's owned by the Tolkien (laughs) estate. Just a PSA. I am not a uh, Tolkien estate employee, but you are not allowed to use hobbits. That is that is a trademark by by the estate. So you can use elves, orcs, dwarves, whatever. That's all common folklore. But that's a really good way, too, if, you know, if the estate were ever to put out more stories and you ever saw a hobbit pop up anywhere, you know, that's a Tolkien book. So I think just as part of world building, if you could do something like that or even Easter eggs in your stories that give that special connection with the reader who, you know, is a fan is a super fan type of thing. It just, it just makes it pop more. You know what I mean? Do you have anything like that, Marianne?
1: I actually do not have anything like that. Um, my you know, the, the thread that I have in and I have to just put it out there. When Tina says Easter egg, she doesn't actually mean e- real Easter eggs. It's something no, that, you, you, that would be something that pops could, up though. that you have to hunt for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could be. No, the only things that I have that are are commonality are uh, places, you know, mm-hmm. um, that, that that my characters, regardless of whether it's my main series or whether it's offshoot series um, from that main series, is that there are uh, locations that mm-hmm. are common that, mm-hmm. that, they, that link my characters together. And one of them is the red veil, which is my van the vampire club I created in downtown New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I, and there are other places that I can add to like right now with this new one, I have a, a the, you know, the, the new vampire, um, maf- vampire mm-hmm. mafia uh, there's the, the, the bar called bone in mm-hmm. um you know, in the Bronx. And then it, there's another, nightclub, so to speak, that was called Avalon, which was part of uh, part of a, a vampire's turf, so to That's speak, funny. his his territory. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I can I can, you know, ring, uh, you know, link and ring these if I want to, because it's all, right. you know, we're all in the same kind of area, which um, brings me to the to to my next question with with world building is mm-hmm. if you're writing something that is. Parallel. To mm-hmm. or coexisting with our modern world, is it better to use existing places like existing streets, existing towns, existing lo- you know locales, mm-hmm. or is it better to make them up so that you don't have to worry about anybody coming back to you and saying that's not how that is, you know, yeah. that type of a thing?
0: I mean, I'm of the I'm of the latter persuasion. I like to use the modern world as a template but not the exact. So I I can't remember I I the the Paranormal Crimes Division the first book Code Black is set in Phoenix and I had never been to Phoenix. But I was all over the maps at the time looking at like every single location, making sure that I had things right, but then I would change it. I would change like the names or the numbers or um I I changed the airport uh, name because I didn't want it. I wanted you to if you knew the area, you could probably identify it, but not so specifically. I didn't want it to be like, oh, I'm going to go to, you know, 34th Street and I'm going to see this right Uh, like, like the, Empire, instance- State the
1: <laughs> Empire State Building. 34th well, not Street. Phoenix,
0: but yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But that kind of thing, like I wanted you, if you again, if you were familiar with the area, they'd be like, oh, I kind of know what that is, but not so specific and exact that you'd be standing on the, you know, exact corner where I set my gruesome murder type of thing in the book. <laughs> I don't want to offend anybody living in that neighborhood. Um, so I kind of take that approach. But I've seen people do the opposite where they do take the, you know, the exact kind of coordinates essentially of a location. What do you do, especially because I know you you're setting them very much in the real world?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have um, in the past, I have every location that I have used has been real. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been a place that I have been. That was Mm -hmm. always something that was uh, kind of a. (sighs) it was a rule of mine that I wasn't going to write about something unless I had been there, even Mm -hmm. if it was old 30 years ago, I had still been there. So it's coming from a place of memory and authenticity. Mm -hmm. Um, But lately um, I have created places um, and I found it easier to create places. Like when I I wrote the second book of the um, um, there goes my midlife crisis uh, series. And it was, um, Where'd You Get That Keeper, which is book two. Book one is Jeepers, Reapers. The second one is Where'd You Get That Keeper? I was having them take, you know, they were it was taking place. um, And I needed a uh, like a coastal bluff Mm -hmm. and I was looking up places and and so forth. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm just going to make up my own Mm
0: because it was in
1: Massachusetts. And I didn't want to I didn't want to I didn't want to make it because my my series takes place in Salem. So there are the places that are in Salem. Mm-hmm. We're, co- we're correct. Um, and uh, well, that's a, that's the other thing is when I was when I wrote for the Magic and Mayhem series, Robin Peterman, that takes place in Salem. I'm getting confused. does not that happen a lot when you have so many <laughs> yes. books out that you get your plot lines and your things confused? Anyway, yep. I needed a I needed a bluff. And I was and I so I just created one rather than mm-hmm. rather than trying to find something new. And it was a little easier because then I didn't have to worry about whether I was correct or not. You know, right. and I just I had to I had to just make sure that I was true to my world, you know, right. as opposed to the existing world. But it's a lot of fun, though, when mm-hmm. readers of mine have gone to places in my Curse by Blood series or they've gone to places in my Red Veil diaries um, and they have said oh my god i was on jane street and i was trying to count to see which one of these these old brick um apartment buildings belonged to lily and you know and, and that you know so i mean i it, it was a cute. lot of it, it's a lot of fun when, when you get feedback like that yeah. so i think i i probably am a fan of doing it both ways but mm-hmm. i have to say creating your own is easier <laughs> It's It's true.
0: The only thing with creating your own is that you then have to kind of like, again, add to your series Bible of like, okay, I use this location and this was what it looked like in case you want to go back to it. Um, I find myself with a lot of different locations in my series. Yeah. And it can get get overwhelming. Um, So what do you think? What's the best advice that you would give to a newer author just starting their world building as far as like encountering pitfalls like what's the common you know things that they might come across when creating their world that they should look out for
1: um make sure that you write it all down is mm-hmm. the first thing so that you don't forget it <laughs> think it through mm-hmm. because you know you may think oh this is going to work great for this book But if you're planning it to be a series, actually think it through, extrapolate out how this same world and these same rules might work five books in, you know, and and whether or not it's elastic enough to be able to stretch through over over the course of of, of five books. Um, The other thing I would be very much aware of is that you didn't subliminally copy somebody else's world.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, In in the paranormal world, there are only so many ideas in terms of taking from mythology that you're going to give your own twist. So people say that worlds are. Or ideas are they're never they're never 100 percent pristine and fresh, you know, that that, so but you have to make sure that your world doesn't doesn't mirror somebody else's uh, in a way that could get you into trouble later on in terms of plagiarism. Right. right. So, you
0: never want to be so close that you're essentially writing a fan fiction of that person's work.
1: You right. want to make sure I mean, that it,
0: your, your thoughts are original. Yeah. Right. right. Good advice. Yeah, yep. I'd agree. And I would say also, um, like you said, you don't want to ever paint yourself into the corner where like, oh, my God, I've set these rules so strict. And now. I can't like escape them. I can't have a character do X, Y, Z because I've established these rules that says that that character can't. So just make sure that there's enough flexibility in there. Um, an example I'll give is in my books, it's a uh, fated mates is the trope. So the uh, the hero will usually be able to identify his fated mate, the heroine, um, by hearing her name that's something that just has kind of like natural. I didn't plan that. That's kind of something that's naturally happened. But I wanted to make sure that that wasn't the only way. Right. That wasn't like the strictest right. way that it could happen, because then every single book I write, it wouldn't be until they heard her name that that they would know this. So that would really, you know, pin me down as to what I could do in the stories. So I made it so that like that's a way for it to happen. But it is not the only way for it to happen
1: right right and that's
0: just an example of one of many that you want to make sure that again you have enough flexibility in your rules and your world building so that you're not being so so strict in it
1: well that's one of the benefits of writing sci-fi fantasy or paranormal anything Mm -hmm. is that because it it that the worlds kind of exist outside of the parameters of our uh five senses and Mm -hmm. our you know what you know uh you know uh uh gravity and, you know, uh, living in a 3d world where you can only, you know, you're, you're limited as mm-hmm. to, as to what you can and can't do. I mean, people can't fly, you know, that's right. Definitely. Exactly. Um, but you have, you know, you, so you can always write in something that fixes a problem later mm-hmm. on. You can, ex, you can write an explanation for it, but it's not as good as if it's something you followed through because you were aware you, you, you made sure to keep, yourself on your toes like a perfect example is in the book two of blood legacy i have one of the vampires tell my main character trina you know that vampires can vampires can procreate you know Mm -hmm. that was one of the rules of my of my world is that my vampires it's very very rare and i made sure to tell you know, to say that it's extremely but it could rare, but it could happen because you don't want later on and all of a sudden now you have this vampire baby and people like, wait a minute, you know, yeah, you never mentioned that, that was popular. From. Yeah. So you have that's to make smart. sure that it's something that even though it's, you know, highly improbable, it could happen. So it, oh, it just leaves mm-hmm. you you have to leave yourself breadcrumbs, you know, yeah. to follow. And I
0: think that's a good point, too. Like if you did set out establishing like this this really strict rule and you realize later like oh my gosh this isn't gonna work you can almost have that like with you like this is the norm but there are rare circumstances or right. there are creatures that exist outside of the norm. Like maybe the vampire, you know, had a quarter human uh, DNA in them or something like that. You know, you can, right. you there's ways to work out of it if you have found yourself down the road with too strict of a rule. But if you could avoid that from the beginning and kind of like see that coming and avoid it, then you're able to just right. have a more natural flow to the story. Right.
1: It's like, it's like authors who introduce a character in the last two chapters that was right. never part of the part of the world before. It's like, OK, where did this person, come right. from, you know, right. and why are they suddenly the savior? You know, that type of a thing you have to you have to you know, kind of hint at it.
0: Yeah. Like bring that yeah. in a little earlier. And you can always yeah. go back into your story and add those bread comes in. But I do think it's much harder to do that than if you would have started from the beginning to add. Correct.
1: Bread. Correct. Lots of lots of balls in the air when you're when you're when you're world building and character building and they all everything is everything's related. And keeping those balls in the air sometimes, you know, it, it can get clunky. You know, yeah. and, you know, so no one is going to come after you and say, oh my God, turn in your author card. You, you made this <laughs> mistake. No one is going to do that. Everybody, you know, and people, in fact, anything, anything, the authors, myself, and I know Tina will, will commiserate you, will be like, oh my God, I did yep. that too. So, in there, done that. <laughs> yeah, you're in that, you're in good company because we've all made little, you know, we've all had brain burps where it's For like, sure. oh my God, how do I, how do I, how do I write myself out of this corner is mm-hmm. basically, Uh, A question that gets asked a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I would just say to end off with the the world building can feel very overwhelming, right? Because you're, again, you're essentially creating something out of nothing, an entire, uh, you know, planet, universe, world, whatever. Um, But just take it one piece at a time. Like maybe just today, I'm just going to work on the cultural aspects of whatever character that I'm working on, right? Or I'm just going to work on the technological pieces or I'm just going to work on this and and break it down so that you're not like, again, trying to create an entire world overnight, you know, so you, right. you can spread it out and have some time. And sometimes that happens as the story evolves and that's okay too. Like maybe you didn't realize before that, The story was going to need this particular rule and then you're like oh let me add that to my series bible that sounds like something that's going to be important later
1: this is something where i have to kind of give my nod you know to plotters danielle banister one of our mod pod mod pod Mm -hmm. commentators would be so happy about this is that yes um (laughs) when you are a pantster you cannot allow your world to evolve the way your story evolves in your head and people are mm-hmm. like, Oh no, I do it all the time. Well, you know what? No, you can't because it, 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 what you write as you're as the story is evolving in your head may not work by the time you get to the end of the book. So this is what I'm saying. It is my advice. And again, it's only my opinion mm-hmm. is that you, before you start writing your story as it's evolving in your head, write get your world facts and, And, you know, or at least as much of it as you can, you know, form your flow chart, you know, in your, you know, out someplace where it's tangible, where you can see it, that if you have to then move pieces around, you're not struggling having to go back and reread chapters and try to pick and choose and find that needle in a haystack of where it needs to be changed. It'll save you aggravation in the long run. Trust me. A
0: hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, I think we did it, Marianne. And if you listeners, watchers have any questions for us about world building, you can leave them in the comments on YouTube below. You can also check us out on our website and all of our social media platforms. Otherwise, we will see you next week for another episode of Bound by Books.
1: Bye. Bye
0: -bye. Thank you for listening to the Bound by Books podcast. For more information about the show and all of our hosts, visit our website at www.boundbybookspodcast.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review.